0: This fourth talk on right action has a lot to do with that retreat. And When I was a monk, there was one teacher that said, right action for monks and nuns is sitting and walking. <laughs> and um, because it aligns you with a, a kind of view, a way of being in the world that uh, is, very, um, is very sensitive and very heartfelt, But most of us aren't monks and nuns. As a matter of fact, none of us are monks and nuns in this room. And so we are called upon to find what it means to create right action in the world. I think uh, if you think about what uh, you know a person by, then most of us would know a person more by what he or she does than what he or she professes to do or proselytizes or sermonizes about doing. For actions, literally speak much louder than words. The Buddha talked uh, a great deal about that. He said you should watch a person for a long time to get to know them. So I can imagine <laughs> a lot of eyes will be on me for a while <laughs> but it's good you should you should watch and see if the actions are in any way in aligned with the view and the representation of the of the heart, knowing that often the words uh, proceed or exceed the extent of the integration of the actual actions themselves. We often see and understand before our actions follow that particular uh, line of vision, line of understanding. And of course, um, if you think of, let me just uh, go back then to the first step. I always like to uh, reinforce what we've done already and we've really aligned ourselves with a, a particular way to see the world. So the right view is really the way the world is and the way we can uh, take the world to be what it is. So from the analogy of the raft that I've used in the other talks, it's and just seeing that there's another possibility besides the bank we're on. Then right intention, is the deliberate motivation to cultivate uh, that understanding and that view. So we put the raft in the water and we say, I'm going to head to the other bank. Then right speech, action, and the next step, livelihood, is the actual paddling of the raft across the river in alignment with right view, following right intention to get to the other side now many of us uh, take one paddle out and then we drift for a while the practice sort of falls away from us we find ourselves down away from the bank four or five miles and we think oh we've got to start paddling then we paddle for a while we get ourselves out there a little bit and we decided that there's a really beautiful sight upstream (laughs) we start paddling that way and our meditation is very rarely a direct and a linear path, but often has a whole uh, series of mistakes, if mistakes be the faltering of the right view. And that's really what the spiritual path is about. A lot of mistakes, a lot of poor attempts. But something begins to take hold when we begin cultivating the view and the intention over and over again. We begin to see, we begin to meditate, we begin to see a little bit, we begin to see how the world is, just a little bit. And it takes a long time to have insight, there's no question about it. It's not something that usually the beginning class, for instance, has and they just run on faith. They run on the faith of what I might be say- telling them or what they've read in a book or another teacher might be saying. But when we start having insight, when we start actually seeing, we catch a, a, a glimpse of the right view. Whoa! Sometimes it can be rather startling. Sometimes it can be very startling. And we just, little glimpse of it like strobe lights in a darkened room. And that starts making sense to us. And that confirms the faith in the view. Up until that time, we may have been running on what people have told us is right view and the way to look, connectedness. And we feel very disconnected and yet there's something in our heart that is touched by that word and we talk about intimacy and softness of heart when we talk about um, coming together and and the affection, all of the words that uh, can mean so much to us, we feel like we want to be that, and yet we don't feel like we are sufficient in those abilities or talents, and feel very distant from that other shore. and And so we do a lot of striving, a lot of effort for gain. And then along the way, insights begin to pop with us, begin to really show themselves. We begin to catch a sight of what the world looks like when we aren't looking through a distorted view of our usual intentions. And this confirms faith, it it helps effort, and we'll get to all of that in later weeks. But what often does not occur is action in relationship to those insights. Because We realize to actually put ourselves out there and do it means we have to be different, change somehow. We have to really put our actions where our view is. And we're reluctant to do that because it's like a commitment to do that. And it's much safer to stay within the confines of the old actions And just be wise with the new view. I'll just talk about it. I'll tell everybody about my wisdom and stay very stuck in my individuality. Because it means we have to change. We have to put our actions where our wisdom is. And we're reluctant to do that. So, so actions don't often or don't frequently follow it. And it hasn't integrated in ourselves. Even though we catch a glimpse, an insight, glimpse of our changing impermanent quality or selflessness or whatever we want the insight happens to be, to be dramatic or routine insight. Somehow it hasn't gotten into our cells, you know. Way down in here somewhere, we feel like it, it sort of flashed. It was a flash in the pan, and it didn't sink into the very cells of our body. And we just pass up right action. We just let it go. I mean, we buy a car, even though we've seen the truth of impermanence. Every morning we're at the mirror looking at that new gray hair. <laughs> worrying about the next birthday concerned about our new car that we just purchased and whether it'll get scratched or not constantly fretting and then we th- we have this moment where we think what are we doing i mean what are, where is where is the practice in all of this worry and tension and anxiety and we're called upon seems to me that's a very important point we're called upon to act upon it and acting really solidifies that new view. It brings it into the body. Hitherto, for it's been in the mind, you've seen it, you've had a flash in awareness. You can think about it. Those are all nice. Sometimes it even percolates into the speech, but not very often. Mostly we stay gossipy and divisive. But it hasn't come down into the actual cells of the body. And I think action is what brings it into the cells. Body, speech, and action. Body, link 4. Speech, link 3. No. Yes. In mind, link 1 and 2. Steps 1 and 2. We're talking about the Eightfold Path. So the cells themselves have to be conditioned or have to be awakened from their conditioning through actual action. And the reason that we are reluctant to that is it doesn't feel right. You see, we're waiting for a feeling, some kind of rightness of feeling. Well, the rightness of feeling, just what is that? It's based on an emotion. And how reliable is that for a way to act? That's like relying on, waiting for the right thought to come. (laughs) <laughs> and we, and, and we, and we have a sense, especially on our side, that if it doesn't feel right, you know, this kind of feeling right thing that we have, we really don't. What we we think that means intuitive, but it's not intuition, intuition at all. Often it's just based on an emotion, the emotional resonance of what we like or don't like about the particular situation we're in, and so that what, that holds us back. Because it never feels right to do something new, to step out, to be very creative in our actions. So we just, we remain with the right feeling of being complacent. And so it never gets integrated in the right way. I mean, I did the homework here. I hope everyone took one. The point of the homework is, to force that integration. So we have an insight into our minds' uh, impermanence and changing quality. And from that we begin to glean, we begin to understand that some of the unworthiness that we harbor within ourselves can't be true. Because this is just old conditioning coming up. It can't be a statement about me if it's just old past patterns. How can I believe that as being the current statement of who I am when it's just coming from the old past ways of, of believing about myself? So we, we catch an insight into that. We really, we really see that. And yet we still find ourselves lost in the old patterns of unworthiness and, and self-criticism. So what's going to change that? Are we waiting for the thoughts to change? Forget it. What's going to change, what's going to change the, the real feeling about ourselves, the beliefs in ourselves, unless we start acting in accordance with what is true, rather than what we believe about ourselves? And so we're sitting there with the boss and all of a sudden that dawns on us and, my God, I'm going to empower myself here. Hi, oh, yeah, I think that's a good project. Yes, I did it, and I did it well. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> and inside you going ah, ah, crumbling. <sighs> but it's worth saying. And sometimes because it's a new behavior, You know, we overreact into that and we try to make too much of a statement of it. All of the... We sort of pour out of the scenes. That's okay. That's all right. That's okay to do that. But we're moving in the right direction. And we're walking down the street and somebody says something critical of us in a passing comment. And we go, oh gosh, oh, oh. It's like they saw us, you know. It's like they really saw us. But I'm not going to do that. No, that's his problem. And even though the feeling may be there, and even though I may be hurting inside from the comment, I'm not going to... This is my my actions. I'm just going to walk right on. Walk right through that feeling. Like it was just a a light shower or mist. Because it's not true. See, the view determines it. And the view strengthens with the insight and with the action integrating into that. It moves into it. Sometimes we go back into our old attitudes and we <laughs> get lost in our old posture, you know, and the kind of arrogance that we come in. We lose ourselves in a while. And I just read something that very much carries that note. This was uh, read by another Dharma teacher, and I, I took it from her because I really liked it. <laughs> now, This is an actual transcript of a radio conversation between a US naval ship with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. So it's an actual transcript of a radio conversation. Americans, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, Recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of the US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no. I say again, you divert your course. (laughs) Americans, can't you just hear this on the radio? (laughs) This is the, now they're really getting into it. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and a number of support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one, five degrees north. (laughs) Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians. This is a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> <laughs> he just must have felt like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> so we get all lost in the old way, the old stance, the old attitude, you know. Just making a complete fool out of ourselves. Sometimes, we're, in the, we're completely conscious of what we're doing, but we don't, be, we don't seem to be able to stop it. It just shoots forth from us. It just springs forth from us. And we sit there and we go, I can't believe I'm saying this. Or I can't believe I'm acting this way. And we have that feeling. (laughs) I mean, no one with an inkling of conscious would behave exactly the way I'm behaving as I'm seeing myself behave in this particular instant. And yet just the power is so, it just is so sharp and so forceful. It just comes out. There it is. Boom, it's on the table. And you go, my God. And that's part of the learning too. That's part of the ripening of the fruit. That's part of the the process of maturation. That's all part of the integration. The integration of the Dharma into our action, into our speech. And the beauty of this path is that it doesn't stop with just what the mind sees. It has to move and follow with action. It has to be full and complete in its range and duration. There can't be even a single electron out of orbit. So we learn to rehearse right view. We learn to really keep bringing ourselves back to that sense of connectedness in our actions. And our actions then take on a perceptual, not perceptual, but precepts, preceptual alignment. Their alignment of non-harm, an alignment in which the movement of my action and speech in alignment with my view will be towards non-harm. And the precepts, then, are like the, the warning signs that we have lost our view. When we find ourselves killing, or stealing, or lying, or distorting the truth, or backbiting, or doing all the things that normally throw, flow through our consciousness, there are warning signs we we need to take that as we've stepped off on the path a little bit. We used to have this game <coughs> where there were it was all metal it looked like Swiss cheese with holes in this top and there was a metal tweezers and inside were little metal <coughs> logs and the whole thing was plugged into a wall socket and <coughs> The tweezers were attached to a wire, and you were supposed to reach the metal tweezers through the metal holes to pick up the metal logs without touching the side of the of the container as you bring them out. And you're supposed to bring all the different little logs out of this thing. That was the object of the game. And so you'd sit down there, and you just you'd have to go very slowly down, pick them up, and then the tweezer would hit the side, and a buzzer would go off. It goes <laughs> like that. Well, that. That's what the precepts are. The precepts are that we've I go <laughs> I go a long way around it, don't I? I couldn't just say it, could I? <laughs> so yeah, you 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 pick you you're really, I mean, you you watch your actions in regards to those precepts of non harm and to a sense of inclusion. And And at first it's like a cat at a mouse hole, ready to catch ourselves as soon as we do something wrong. But that's not the point. The point is a relaxed awareness. The point is a grounded awareness. The point is to let the naturalness flow rather than to try to be a forced naturalness. This is is not an induced naturalness. This is an induced truth. This is truth that is here and now. And all we have to do is step aside with and from a kind of contained um, of uh, effort to try this kind of checking ourselves as if we're looking down our backs all the time and just let that effort let that effort be a natural one and therefore let your actions be a natural flow and sometimes you make a mistake and sometimes you don't but the more we deepen our ability to relax into our actions and just let the actions flow the more they reside naturally with the intonations of the heart We don't have to do anything to be able to see and feel. When we're outdoors and we see something that really connects with our heart, the sensitivity of it and the beauty of it, there's nothing we need to do to create that feeling. Just open up and see it. So, too, when we're with somebody else, there's nothing we need to do to naturally feel connected of heart except let our opinions subside a little bit so that we can really connect. We just keep getting in the way of the view. So this this should be a talk of immense potential for each one of us because there's nothing we need to add to ourselves. We just need to let that potential out. I mean, you can see it in children sometimes that natural spontaneity and creativity and joy before they learn how to be individuals and have that kind of self-consciousness that's induced as we mature, unfortunately. Before they've had so much criticism in their life that they carry that criticism internally. Natural spontaneity, natural naturalness and that's that's what the dharma is to do is to get us in touch with that to find to rediscover that so what's the tool what's a right action what's one way to bring us into that naturalness well it can't be some forced labor it has to be something that honors the fact that we are that way already and just allows us a little space so that that naturalness can can show itself. And that one of the beautiful tools in this business that we don't talk very much about but is available to us all is investigation. Investigation. I say something to someone. I lie. There, I'm, there I am. Right there. and Or distort the truth. I mean, if we have any consciousness, we're just like right there with some kind of lie coming out. And you go, what in the hell is going on here? What what is this in me? Not not in a moral reprimanding way, but as an investigation. Where am I hiding from? What am I trying to protect here? What is so important for me to have the other person believe in me so that I distort the truth so that I can have this kind of false image? What is that? You see? That questioning uncovers or allows us to see where it is that we're blocked. When, we're, when we can see where it is that we're blocked, we can release that feeling of being contained and allow that connectedness to resume. Allow the view to come back in. Investigation and we'll do a, an investigation next time if people would like to continue coming this coming uh, Thursday, next Thursday, we'll, we'll work on investigation. We'll do what we call Dharma Dialogues, which I did once before. And it allows us to begin to carry and to sharpen that tool back with us. It's a very important tool in this game. Very important to have that uh, ability on the spot to look experientially, not intellectually, but experientially at what it is that we block, bring that awareness to it, and allow it to let and to let go of it. Nothing happens unless we see. Nothing happens. And as soon as we see, we're connected with it. And so as soon as we are connected with it, we have right view. You see? Right view is always determined by our ability to connect with something. And that's why when we walk around and never even know what's happening within us, that's we're operating out of wrong view. It's just our conditions that are spewing forth, because we're not really connected with what we're saying or doing or feeling or being at all. We're just kind of spewing out. But as soon as we connect through our awareness, touching our awareness with what is going on inside of us, in that connection we've established right view. And the connection isn't judgmental, is it? That's why in meditation we say, don't judge. When you connect, genuinely connect with something, you aren't sitting there you know, criticizing the thing that you're connecting with, you're available to it. And so being available to ourselves is right internal view. You see? And then the whole thing just moves from there. And but, but not to rest. I think the main point of this, this particular talk is that we just don't rest upon our old conditioning. We, we push ourselves out a little bit. We step out. We challenge ourselves. Even if it feels weird and odd and unusual, it's going to. It's got to. We're not used to that activity. How could it feel any other way? There's a real nice Mary Oliver poem about that, because all the voices tell us that we're doing the wrong thing. I'd just like to read this, if I could. It's called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble, and you felt the old tug at your ankles. men mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundation, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night in the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. So it's it's that feeling of the old voices, you know. Don't do don't. Come back, mend your life. Stay within within the patterns you know. Stay with what you know. Do what you've always done. Don't shake things up. And yet, at some point, despite all the storms and, and conflicts that that kind of voice inevitably brings, we move out through the storm, through all of that. Determined to do the only thing we could do. Determined to save the only person we can save. Determined. This is the only life we have. This is it. How much of that life is now over? When are we going to start doing it? When are we going to start aligning ourselves with what we know to be true? When are we going to start walking our talk, as they say in these "You stay," Our willingness to put forth into action brings that heart to bear. And it begins to really encourage and reinforce the view. It reinforces the wisdom from which the view has come. And it becomes it then after a while it begins to feel natural. But we need to challenge ourselves. Right view, right intention, right speech, another form of action, right action, the selves themselves manifestation, the manifestation of the selves themselves. And then, at least, when we are close to dying, we can say, well, I'm, I did what I can do. did what I could do. Some good, some not so good. But I did what I could do. Instead of saying, "Boy, oh, I wish I could have done a little more. Oh, don't let us die like that. And part of right action is knowing when to say no. Part of right action is to, to know one's restraints, to know one's boundaries, to know one's limitations, and to be able to say no. And not to feel driven by some ideal that really right action is to be Mother Teresa in the world. There was one Mother Teresa. There's one Mike Jordan. Every basketball player wants to be like Mike. Every Dharma student has Mother Teresa as their the heart that bleeds for everybody. Well there wouldn't be much food around. (laughs) Each of us have our own unique path in this. Each of us have our way through and to be able to say no to limitations, to, I feel I feel limited now? I feel. I mean, I do that all the time. There, I make lots of people make uh, a great deal demands, uh, asking to call and to come over and that sort of thing. And I honor that when I can. But when I can't, I just have no problem saying no. I can't. I can't do that. Let's wait a while or give me a few months. until all this retreating or something happens, and then then we'll settle. Up settled together again and every one of us have to have an honor that limitation because we have to honor ourselves in equal representation as we honor the person we serve if we don't hold ourselves in as high esteem as the person we are serving then we are serving the disadvantaged and that's not equality that's not service work that's pity And to also restrain our actions in terms of some of the ways we can give feedback. I mean, I have seen relationships damaged irreversibly because we knew what that other person needed to say, to hear. So we knew what we needed to say to that other person. And we were going to tell them by God. Never realizing that that kind of reactivity, that kind of force in mind represents the same problem in you that you are about to tell that other person about. And instead of listening to that with some sensitivity, we just say it in some kind of cross or angry way, breaking and damaging the very nature of relationship. And therefore, the connectivity, the sense of connection that is at the heart of right view. So to understand how to say something, to understand a way to say it that allows me to own and take responsibility from where I'm coming from. And to act in accordance to that responsibility is essential on this path. Or sangha would never form. We'd all just be hurt. Because you see, as our consciousness and awareness becomes more refined, we see in other people. We see it. We sense things. Almost when somebody comes in for an interview, I can, you just know what's going on in them. And unless we honor the way we say that, we could just be torturers to each other, creating much more problems than any healing. And so together with that insight and that sensitivity has to come, has to come the compassionate side to say what is true and useful, to say what someone can hear and honor and hold in one's cell what one needs to learn from that situation or from that characteristic. To save the only life I can save. To do the only thing I can do. We're not playing here can joke and we can laugh, we can kid, we can have a good time, but it's deadly serious work, serious, deadly serious. I don't know, you know, it's like we only half believe it. You know, we believe it on Thursday nights from 7 to 9. It 's true all the time and the willingness to put that into action, even if it feels wrong. think of the thing that you have to heal from, where the, the lack of intimacy or the inability to cross over and to be able to be intimate with somebody is since many of our hearts or the, the sense of uh, self-unworthiness, or whatever our particular thing. Each one of us has our little repository of what's going to make a difference. The thoughts are going to continue. You're going to continue to feel those thoughts and feelings about yourself probably until you die. Many of the same feelings are in me 25 years later. Now what's going to make a difference? To challenge them. To challenge them in action. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where I can take full responsibility and in that clarity of vision, in that in the willingness to not just be who I think I am or other people have told me I was, but the clarity of vision that sees all of that stuff as just past, past dumping. And with that clarity I can walk. I walk out of whatever it is that holds me back and restrains me. I set limits because I see that I am an important part in this universe, equally as important as anyone here, and I walk out in that clarity with taking full responsibility into freedom. Into freedom. And may we all know that sense of freedom through our actions, speech, intentions, and view. From this day forth, from this moment on.